welcome back to 444's The Most Accurate Podcast. As always, on Thursday, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by some very good friends in life because with all the chaos happening in the NFL, basically on an every 24-hour basis, I couldn't do this alone. So first up, I had to call on good friend and now CEO of his own company, essentially, J.J. Zacharyson, late-round quarterback himself. J.J., how's everything been going behind the scenes for you? Good, man. Good. It's good to talk to you. Good to see both of your, your beautiful faces. Haven't seen you guys in a minute. Uh, ready to talk about this stuff because it has been a probably the wildest like two weeks of probably any of our careers with this stuff in terms of movement in the NFL and all that. So, yeah, I'm excited to hear your takes. Excited to talk about it. You mentioned the other person, and that is none other than Ryan McDowell of DynastyLeagueFootball.com himself, who is also just trapped right now, buried in work, since he's updating for Dynasty League rankings and the free agent tracker to mention everything Dynasty-wise ongoing right now at the site. Ryan, how's everything going for you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's been wild. It's, yeah, it, it's been wild. It's been fun. Uh, I was trying to think yesterday of, of you know all these players that have been traded. How many years do we have to go back to equal just what we've seen really in the past two or three weeks, right? I mean... We're talking about the past several years just to match the uh, when you're talking about name recognition, big names being dealt. So, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a fun time for us, for sure. I came into fantasy conscious around I think it was like David Carr's first year, whenever the Texans launched in his expansion team and dating back to just then, maybe it was before then, even since they're, you know, we have a lot of friends that go even further back, but that's actually like, I can't recall a crazier off season, as you mentioned, JJ, than this one dating back to then. Do you like go before that working in or just playing fantasy? And can you recall like literally as much chaos going on as there has been in the past two weeks? I, I can't remember a single season like this. Like, I, I think a lot of it is like, like I, part of me thinks that it's like this, like trickle effect of what we've seen happen, like in the NBA and other organizations where players understand leverage a little bit. Um, and I, I think we're seeing that leverage obviously uh, take place, whether it's at the quarterback position and we see the domino effect with a guy like Deshaun Watson uh, or, you know, what we're seeing with, with someone like Devonte Adams, who just wanted a better deal, understandably so wanted to get a deal, didn't want to be franchised. And he's like, well, look, I would love to go to the Raiders and be with my buddy, Derek. And so, uh, you know, he, he was able to, to have that leverage. And then Tyreek Hill, it's the same situation where like, like he sees Devonte Adams deal. Like, I, I think the chiefs might've been able to retain Tyreek Hill, if not for the Devonte Adams deal. Um, and, and so you're just seeing player leverage really, uh, you know, at play here. Yeah, and and if not for the Christian Kirk deal, right? If I mean, not for that, the Christian Kirk deal. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that overpay is really, I think, what what kicked this off because we've had we've had the Hill trade, we've had the Adams trade. I mean, DJ Moore. I know we all love DJ Moore, but DJ Moore's getting twenty plus million a year now. Um, so I don't I don't know. It's it, it's been pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, I think it was Field Yates uh, yesterday that had a tweet that said this might be the Cincinnati Bengals effect that every other team saw the Bengals go from losing record, second overall pick, wherever they were a year ago, to Super Bowl, uh, you know, to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl uh, runner-up, I guess. And yeah, so so every other team feels like um, feels like they can do that turnaround and and follow that roadmap as well. As Evan Silva also mentioned, it's the less neat effect since it's a copycat league. And the F them picks motion has now 
been seen by everyone as a Super Bowl approach, and thus everyone now is just giving away their first rounders. And that's actually where I want to start because Tyreek Hill's dynasty value was obviously impacted following the trade to Miami. Prior to that deal, he was ranked number six overall at DynastyLeagueFootball.com and one quarterback Dynasty Leagues. He was the wide receiver four and your latest March Dynasty ADP, actually. And among Superflex rankings was the number 15 overall player, including number five at his position. So I want to start with you, Ryan, and just ask, what do you think happens now, the fact that he is moving to a offense that has more talented mouths to feed than just himself and Travis Kelsey like he had prior. Well, I think what we're seeing, and, and we've kind of lumped uh, Tyreek and Adams together, and I, I think that that works still with this because they're both going to a situation where they're seeing a quarterback downgrade. Uh, but also at their age, we were already seeing their value slightly decline this offseason anyway, their dynasty value because that's just what happens to 28, 29, 30-year-old wide receivers. Uh, we see those those dips every offseason. So, you know, how much of that is, is going to continue with the trade? How much of that would have happened anyway? Uh, I think ultimately that makes both of those guys uh, closer to a buy than a sell for me in Dynasty. Uh, not because I, I am confident in their situation, but just because I expect their value to bounce back once we're seeing these guys on the field. And how are you handling the spin JJ? Yeah, I think that's the right take. Um, you know, I, th these guys in particular, like the Adams Tyreek tier, obviously going to be team dependent, uh, dynasty team dependent. Uh, you know, if, if you are looking to win and you're, you're ready to go for it, then it makes sense to, to buy into a guy like Hill right now where his value could hypothetically uh, not be that much lower. I think that he, you know, as, as number one, as, as poor of a situation as this might look on paper, which it could be worse. We all know that it could be a lot worse, but he is stepping into a situation where, uh, you know, they don't have like these, like lot aside from Waddle, there's no like locked in three that we should be really, really concerned about. Um, and, and you know, he's, he's also walking into a situation where, uh, we have to hope at least. And I think that we can feel fairly confident that, Mike McDaniel is going to put him in, in an opportunity to, to do well. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of question marks with the fit uh, with from a Tua standpoint. And I understand those concerns to some degree. Uh, but I think that Tua, you know, the reason they went and got Jalen Waddle, this is my take, at least in draft season last year. The reason they went and got Jalen Waddle is because Tua is not a guy who throws to to uh, to guys who, who don't get any separation. Like, that's why there was no real rapport there with him and Devonte Parker. So they get a guy who separates incredibly well and Jalen Waddle can stretch the field and made a ton of sense. Just that year one, they utilize him in a, in a slightly different way and just fed him the ball close to the line of scrimmage because it's all they could really do. They had a bad offensive line. Uh, they're not able to like really allow Jalen Waddle run to run the full route tree just because he was the only dude in that offense. And they can't really do that much with that. There's not that much versatility there. You add Tyreek Hill, you're getting another player who can create a lot of separation for a guy like Tua who is going to throw into that kind of to, to that kind of player as opposed to throwing into tight windows. And so, yeah, you know, you can look at like what he's done over the last couple of years, you know, uh, last season, uh, you know, Tua had a, a 15 plus air yard rate of only of under 13% when the, the, uh, the league, uh, average was about 16 and a half to 17%. So he was below average at throwing it deep. His completion rate was, was above average on those throws. So that's good to see. 
So I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a little bit more frequency there because you have Tyreek Hill on your team now. And then hopefully a guy like Mike McDaniel can utilize uh, Tyreek Hill. And, you know, let, let's not just assume that he is Debo Samuel, number one. Like, like, let's not assume that he's just going to be Debo who can create, uh, who can break tackles like we really haven't seen from that position before. But uh, I do think that we're going to see him lined up in the backfield and have these uh, these unique formations and situations for Tyreek Hill. Um, and so there is some reason to be bullish. Uh, you know, on this landing spot, as opposed to some other landing spots that are out there. Like it could have been way, way worse, despite the fact that he is going from Patrick Mahomes, you know, to another offense. It's a double-edged sword for me, Ryan, because on one hand, we do have the evidence of him playing with Alex Smith, who we compare much more similarly to Tua than we would Patrick Mahomes, of course. And you can say, okay, well, Tyreek Hill on limited volume was the 15th and 5th wide receiver in fantasy points per game from Alex Smith, so that's okay. But on the other hand, we finally did get that volume the past two seasons. From week 9 of the 2020 season, he's been pelted with 9.9 targets per game as a volume hoss. And thus, he's been delivering not only his explosiveness, but now this explosiveness with significant volume. And so really what I'm questioning is... Does that six years of difference like matter, right? Or four to five? Does that like the time he was even more explosive and fresher legs with Alex Smith? Will that transition to now being with Tua? Like, is he as fast? Um, because if he is going to see limited volume, more carries, like JJ said, but limited volume, can he still translate that limited volume to the same fantasy points and efficiency that he did prior earlier in his career? I mean, I have concerns about that, certainly. And and I, I think there's there's a lot of unknowns with this situation. Obviously, the newness for Tyreek Hill, but the newness for Mike McDaniel as well. And then just our, our continued uncertainty about uh, about Tua as a quarterback. So for me, it this is one of those that it's almost going to be a wait-and-see situation. Kind of who wins out? Like, we trust Mike McDaniel, but we're uneasy about Tua. I think right now I'm leaning towards trusting the offensive scheme of Mike McDaniel and just honestly the talent of, uh, of both Waddle and, and Tyree Kill. So um, whether it's what we saw, the, the, the type of usage we saw with, with Alex Smith, I don't know if we'll get that. Or, or, I mean, really what we need, obviously, is just Tua to increase those deep balls. I mean, J.J. mentioned some of it. He had 29 attempts all of last year. Uh, of 20 plus passing or 20 plus yards. Um, yeah, that's, that's not going to cut it. Uh, Tyreek had, I believe 28 targets uh, just by himself. With this Tyreek deal, of course, other players are affected uh, in the nature of it. And that means Jalen Waddle now who Mike McDaniel has already declared his love for perhaps as the wide back usage player suddenly has competition for that type of usage, at least we assume so. So what are you doing with Jalen Waddle now in Dynasty Leagues, JJ? You know, the thing, the, the way that I always view Dynasty, and this is something that, you know, Ryan's talked about for years and years, but it's 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 to look at things in sort of this, like, these, these two categories, these two uh, constant parallels where one bucket would be just straight up production, right? Like you need your players to produce at some point, uh, but the other bucket just being market value and just understanding uh, how players will, will will change and the volatility of market value. And the thing with Jalen Waddle is, yeah, did his did his projection take a hit with Tyreek Hill being there? Yeah, I would also argue that we should have been projecting some sort of hit from Jalen Waddle anyway, just because they were going to add something uh, to this team. It would only make, be logical and make sense to do that. Obviously, we weren't expecting a talent like Tyreek Hill to step in, but even still, 
you know, two guys can be totally fine in an offense these days. Uh, you know, and seeing a, a 25%, like both guys could see 25% target shares and we wouldn't even blink. So, it, you know, from, from a projection standpoint, yes, it does hurt Waddle, um, but it, it's not the end of the world for Waddle. And then, so, so what I then go to is, is look at the market value stance and Waddle's a second year guy who's coming off one of the most historic and best rookie seasons that we've seen, uh, especially from a volume standpoint, a reception standpoint, uh, the chance that or the, the odds that Jalen Waddle drops dramatically in, in market value year over year here is not that big. I mean, it's similar to how I would view a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, where they're going to add more pieces that to that Lions offense. Maybe they, they already did with DJ Chark. Maybe they add someone through the draft. But you also have to keep in mind that a guy like St. Brown and what we've seen historically is young players who produce well during as they're as rookies. Uh, they generally don't see massive drops in ADP year over year. So you're going to at least retain the market value. So let's say that Jalen Waddle stinks it up this year, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's just say that he's terrible this year. You're still going to have some value out of Jalen Waddle entering next season, which is why, you know, I think again, if this is a situation where someone's really low on Waddle now, it's pretty easy to buy into him just because you know that market value is going to, going to stay consistent. Yeah, I, I kind of, and I shouldn't just say I, we all kind of saw this coming with Jalen Waddle, right? And and almost every year you've got that rookie who produces, especially in the back half of the season, and we see a major value jump. I had to I had to look back, but on December 1st, and, and we do mock drafts year round at DLF to collect ADP. So on December 1st, Jalen Waddle was the wide receiver 28 in Dynasty. Now he's wide receiver seven. So, um, you know, that that jump has already been there. As soon as that news hit yesterday, I, I love to uh, kind of check the pulse of the dynasty community. I uh, threw up a Twitter poll, just Tyreek versus Waddle. Who do you want in dynasty? And it was uh, 6337 in favor of Waddle. So we haven't seen Waddle ahead of uh, ahead of Tyreek in in our rankings, in ADP, obviously they've been trending two different directions. Waddle moving very quickly and, and Tyreek kind of that slow, slow leak due to what I was mentioning earlier, just the age and the off season and, and those trends we always see. Uh, so I was, I was shocked at those results. Certainly. Um, I don't think we have to worry about Waddle from a, from a value standpoint, as JJ mentioned production, those are, those are kind of two separate conversations. I think lately my comp for Waddle is is kind of a weird one. It's Antonio Gibson because Gibson comes into the league and we know he has this, this skill that he's borderline elite at catching the ball out of the backfield. And then in year one, he doesn't really get to do that. In year two, we start valuing him highly because we think he probably will get to do that. And he, he really doesn't. And now with Waddle, that skill is, is is the deep ball, the big play. Didn't really do that as a rookie. We start moving him up. We see those glimpses. We start valuing him like a like a dynasty wide receiver one. And now here comes Tyree Kill. And we're starting to think maybe he's not going to, maybe Waddle's not going to get that chance at, uh, at as many deep passes in uh, 2022 either. So I kind of see a little parallel between those two young players. 
Hill's departure also leaves a vacancy and an ambiguous situation, honestly, in Kansas City. I track, for example, the vacated targets from last season's production for every position and team at 4 for 4 football. And it's a fun tool to use for content specifically because I can give that data to five different analysts, sharpest minds in football, and I'll get five different answers. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to take these targets. Marcus Valdez-Scaling, who just signed a three-year deal for $30 million. Uh, also, Travis Kelsey, perhaps Miko Hardman. Someone will say these targets go somewhere. And so I want to start with you, JJ, and ask, is there a winner in this deal in Kansas City or perhaps a loser? And is this a situation in Dynasty where if you do think someone wins, are you trying to buy low in that offense right now? Um, I'm, I'm kind of not trying to buy low and here's why. Um, so entering this off season, I really liked Juju, like I, I as, as a buy candidate, I, I was pretty into Juju. Um, you know, young guy who, uh, you know, maybe he didn't have a wide receiver one ceiling anymore. I mean, we have seen him in the past, uh, be a wide receiver one, and at least have that from a, a market value standpoint. I think that, that the market corrected itself and we, that's not the expectation anymore. But the problem is uh, with with Kansas City right now is they don't really have anyone on the perimeter, and that's that's an issue. I mean, they need someone to be able to play on the outside. You have Travis Kelsey playing tight end, obviously, and taking away targets there. But Juju Smith-Schuster has become a very, very good slot receiver. I mean, he's he can play on the outside, sort of, but he's a much better and well well equipped to be a slot guy. And I'm hoping that Kansas City is going to utilize him that way, and he can generate a lot of yak, etc. But that also likely caps his ceiling a little bit. Um, and I think that a lot of people. You know, right now we're just seeing this as a huge, huge win for Juju, which it is a win for Juju overall. But from a market value standpoint, I can actually make the argument that Juju has gone from being a buy to now being a sell in the Kansas City offense from a dynasty standpoint, just because he's not a guy that's going to be this 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 wide out that moves all over the field and is able to take over games. He's a slot guy, good red zone threat. Uh, again, very, very good after the catch. But they are, you know, they just got Marquez Valdez Scantling to, to play the perimeter and stretch the field a little bit. They're going to get someone in the draft. I mean, you have to assume that they're going to use one of, one of those picks. And, you know, the draft is interesting because there's a lot of wide receiver needy teams. Uh, you know, what that, like, I think there's going to be a lot of wide receivers who we expect to be second round guys that might squeak into the, to the late first now because of what's going on there. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully they'll be able to add someone, uh, you know, a, a true perimeter guy, true, maybe an X. Uh, in the draft, but I, I think they're going to at least address the position in the draft. And so from a dynasty standpoint, you know, yes, everything looks b- butterflies and rainbows for Juju right now. Um, but he's just not that like, we just have to be realistic about what Juju Smith-Schuster is. And he's a very, very good player. And he's one of the best slot guys in the league, given he's a very different kind of slot guy. Um, and, and he can be a wide receiver too, realistically in the short term. Uh, but I think that we have to be realistic about ceiling. I don't know if that ceiling is quite, quite there, even with Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball. Juju's ADP, I imagine, Ryan, has moved significantly in the last week alone because, remember, he signed his deal before Tyreek Hill, before we knew that deal was even going down. And so now to think he steps up as perhaps their number one, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I mean, I think we always, you know, we always chase those Kansas City players. Um, But, I mean, Andy Reid traditionally doesn't get production from his wide receiver too. In his entire coaching career with Philadelphia and Kansas City, he's had one uh, wide receiver too, one second fantasy wide receiver rank in the top 30 for the season. So um, we've done this for years, right? We've chased, chased Miko Hardman and Sammy Watkins and um, and we're doing the same now with Juju. And ultimately it, it, it doesn't bear a lot of fruit. So, um, 
but at the same time, what I mean, what JJ said about about Juju is is obviously spot on. We don't really want him to be the 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 top target in an offense. So them spending one of those picks um, on a wide receiver late in the first, I think, would be a good thing for Smith Schuster. And I mean, it just feels like every dynasty player came to the same conclusion yesterday that we should sell Juju Smith Schuster. And uh, I mean, we all know that when that's the case, that's that's not really going to work very well. So, uh, I mean, checking out the trade finder at DLF and uh, these are not necessarily updated for, for yesterday's news. It's just as these trades are made across actual dynasty leagues, the price is just not there for Juju. Uh, you, you know, Juju for two seconds, Juju and a second for, for Beckham and Landry. I mean, these are kind of the going rates even after uh, the Chiefs signing with or him signing with the Chiefs. In that graveyard of slot receivers from Kansas City, you mentioned you forgot to mention the, the the chasing the dragon of Cornell Powell. I stuck that needle in my arm a couple times in the second round of Dynasty Leagues last year and uh, did not did not go well at all. I want to continue this trend for one more question before we move on to prospect talk and discuss. Steelers wide receiver fallout because it's no secret the Steelers have been in on a quarterback in this draft. They told the world they were interested in Najee Harris last year, got him. They told the world they were interested in Pat Fryermuth, they got him. And so now all we hear is either Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, just a quarterback in general. The Steelers are feasting on and meeting with constantly at pro days, even though they just signed Mitchell Trubisky. So I'm curious, JJ, how are you handling Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool and dynasty leagues right now, knowing it could be one or the other. And you could possibly even have two answers since we're not sure yet. Yeah. So here's the thing. And I, I actually did a deal yesterday that involved both these guys. And so, um, you know, I, I have it fresh in my mind of like what I was thinking with it. You know, I I'm actually more on the sell Claypool be okay with holding Johnson side right now, because we've seen Deontay Johnson be a monster consistently. Like we've seen Deontay Johnson, uh, warrant getting a lot of looks, uh, being a, a focal point in offense and being the number one guy in his offense. And he's dominated. He's, he's a very, very good wide receiver. We don't know for sure yet with Chase Claypool. It's kind of been all over the place. I, I think that the fantasy community might like Claypool a little bit more than like the NFL does. Uh, and that's, a, that's, that's an issue. But then the other point to this too, with Pittsburgh is they have no wide receivers outside of those two right now. I mean, they lost Juju Smith-Schuster. They lost James Washington. They lost Ray Ray McLeod. Not that Ray Ray McLeod was anything that we should be worried about, but uh, they, they have no depth at wide receiver right now, which tells me that they're going to do the typical Steeler thing and probably use a day two pick on a wide receiver. And that wide receiver is probably going to end up being pretty good. Uh, and just because of how, how strong they've evaluated the position over the, the last decade and a half. And so, um, you know, they've had misses in there like Lima Swede and such, but uh, you know, they, they've done a very good job of picking out these wide receivers seemingly out of nowhere. Sometimes like a Deontay, even a chase Claypool, where we're like, oh, that's a weird pick, and then they end up panning out. So I think there, there's a lot of volatility right now with Chase Claypool in particular, where we don't know if he's it. We don't know if he's really that guy. But then on top of that, you're adding a layer of what if the guy that comes in, 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 a, in a fairly deep wide receiver class, what if a guy comes in and is just as talented, if not more, then all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at a similar situation that he's been in uh, you know, with Juju there. Um, and that, that becomes an issue. Um, and so that's sort of how I'm viewing Claypool. I think Deontay is safe enough just because he's, he's shown us that he's very good. Um, and, and you know, good, good wide receivers generally will be able to retain market value and such. Um, and then, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, I'm expecting, you know, 
I, I look at what the Steelers are doing versus what like Carolina did last year, right? The difference being that Carolina went out and they traded for Sam Darnold, gave up capital, and also exercised that fifth-year option, had to pay him a lot more money. Whereas Mitch Trubisky, very incentive-based deal. Uh, you know, it's not that big, it's not like they're locked into Trubisky, but he's gonna get an opportunity. And so I hope that the for for the Steelers' sake and for Steelers fans and for anyone who has one of these wideouts in Dynasty. I hope that does that Mitch Trubisky does not stop them from getting a quarterback if they like that quarterback. I think that's what uh, my my big my my greater point with the position is for Pittsburgh because last year Sam Darnold did stop the Panthers from getting Justin Fields. I mean that was that was part of their equation, right? And, and I I think from a process standpoint, that's just a big mistake. Even if Justin Fields doesn't pan out, like we don't know yet if if Justin Fields is that dude. But from a process standpoint, I think it makes sense to throw as many darts as you can at the position. And so I'm hoping that Trubisky. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that that at the end of the day, Pittsburgh has two quarterbacks where they're like, oh, what do we do with these guys? Because they're both pretty good and they both have value. Um, and I, I think that the Steelers might be thinking that way, which is why we're seeing them tied to so many quarterbacks. So it wouldn't shock me at all if they trade up or if they if, if one of these guys falls to them that they feel good about uh, and they go that direction in round one. I also keep going back to last preseason, Ryan, when Steelers quarterbacks under Matt Canada ran play action on 20% of their dropbacks, led the preseason in pre-snap motion, and then in the regular season when Ben Brosberger gets his first snap, they nixed that identity completely, uh, only to see Rothsberger eventually lead the league in quickest time from snap to throw, leaving zero time for plays to develop downfield. Uh, on that same note, though, like JJ said, obviously – Talent earns targets, right? You have to still earn your targets. Like you mentioned, look at all the Chiefs receivers who have not earned targets despite playing with the best quarterback in the league. And so that's why I keep going back to Chase Claypool's raw talent, but also Deontay Johnson is the dude who's already done this. Yeah, Deontay is definitely the one I want. And and that's the case whether it's Mitch Trubisky, who I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see Trubisky yeah. uh, outside of the Bears, right? And outside of... Outside of that, uh, that offensive system, and and honestly, with just way more weapons than he ever had in Chicago, um, and and that's not even factoring in the uh, you know the ability to run and do some different things in that offense than we saw last year. But I mean, when it comes down to it, I think it might be this simple. Chase Claypool has two wide receiver one games in his career, two, two times he's been a top twelve wide receiver. We know one of those was that uh, what four touchdown game I believe in his rookie season. Uh, it, it would be crazy to check the percentage of, of his total fantasy stats uh, over his two-year career that, that came from that one game. It's probably way too high. Uh, I, I like Claypool. I'm, I'm still kind of interested in him. The price has obviously dropped. Uh, but, I mean, Deontay is not only a wide receiver one for me, he's a top 12 overall player. So if, if I've got a late first-round pick in a startup, he's a guy I would be looking at. Claypool carries inside the 10 also frustratingly didn't stick like like Joe Mixon targets last year essentially uh, would have been nice for them to be a weekly constant but was not the case anyways though before we get on to prospect talk I actually want to remind everyone very quickly that the best deal in the industry literally the best is back because right now if you sign up for underdog as a new subscriber that's important new subscriber not only will you receive a free pro 444 subscription with your access to all our ongoing redraft content and discount Discord access where you can bother me in the DMs, but underdog will also match your deposit up to hundred dollars by 100% literally mirror the deposit. So just download the underdog app, use the promo code four for four. That's important when making your first deposit and bingo, you're now part of our family. You can talk to us all the time in the discord. 
Moving on, though, to prospects. Daniel Jeremiah's most recent mock included seven wide receivers falling to six different teams. The Falcons, the Jets, Patriots, Cardinals, Packers, and Chiefs on night one, which is why I think it's important we've all gathered here to talk about who could possibly fall on night one. And so, JJ, I'm curious, is there a Jamar Chase situation at the top of drafts, like a player with immense talent that if you fell into elite opportunity like Chase did with the Bengals, for instance, playing with Patrick Mahomes with no competition at that position, or a Falcons quarterback with just Kyle Pitts to worry about at tight end that would land him inside, I don't know, the top 12 rankings of wide receiver dynasty leagues, or does that player just not exist in this draft? I don't think the player exists in this draft. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind the top of this draft, but I do think that this is a flatter draft in general than what we've seen over the last couple of years. You know, last year you had the the big three at wide receiver, uh, you know, Jamar Chase in his own tier for the most part for people. But, you know, you had Jalen Waddle and, and Devontae Smith there too. And then you had that big cluster of guys where some of them hit, some of them didn't, whatever. Um, I, I kind of feel like this class is, is likely deeper. Like if you were to look at the wide receiver, like 12 to 15 in this class versus like last year's, uh, you'd probably feel better about this year's class with, with those kinds of guys. I mean, there's, there's a lot of upside and potential with those players. Um, you know, they all have red flags, of course, but there's at least more there. Uh, whereas this year, um, you know, I understand why a lot of the, the first round wide receivers that are being projected to go in the first round are being projected to go in the first round, but I don't see a very clear cut, uh, top guy. And even like, like my top tier, for instance, is, has Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks and, and Drake London, like most people, um, but even still, like the next tier, when you get into like Jamison Williams and Chris Olave, I don't think they're that far from that that top tier. Like, I don't think it's like this drastic difference and this big, big drop off where, you know, you absolutely need to get in the, the top three of your uh, rookie draft to, to be able to get one of those wide receivers because there's this big fall off. I think that what you're going to find is a lot of, especially in like super flex league, you're going to find that a lot of late first, early second round picks are going to be very close to the, the same value as like a 104, 105 in rookie drafts this year. Um, and so, no, I would say, to, you know, to answer your question pretty pretty directly, I don't think there's a Jamar Chase in this class. There's no one that really stacks up to him analytically either. There are guys that I like a lot. Don't get me you know, like I like Garrett Wilson. I like parts of Traylon Burks and Drake London. I think that there's a lot there. I just highly doubt we're going to see something like Jamar Chase and, and what we saw with him last year. What are your thoughts at the top, Ryan? Because what makes them even more shuffable to JJ's point is that even when you look at expert mocks, we've seen Chris Olave, who's not even in JJ's first tier, mocked sometimes to number eight overall, the first wide receiver at the boards, the Falcons. And so when discussing draft capital, that also throws a wrench into the mix. Yeah, I think most people have one of those three that that JJ mentioned, London, Wilson, Burks, as their as their top guy, or, or probably their top three in some order. But you're right. When you look at NFL mock drafts, sometimes it's Alave, sometimes it's Jamison Williams, still uh, pretty high up there. So, yeah, he's he's spot on that it is it is flat. Not only is there not a Jamar Chase though, I don't know that there's a situation uh, like Cincinnati was. I mean. And unless we think Zach Wilson is making that burrow leap, they've got four and 10. You look at the top 10 or 12 picks and uh, it, it's, it's not really there, right? Even if it's Atlanta, obviously there's no, there's no quarterback there that's uh, supporting that type of rookie uh, rookie production. 
Is there someone you would consider a good wide receiver whose landing spot would actually affect your view on them? I, I think of Rashad Bateman is the most recent example who I loved pre-draft, but then also went into the draft thinking whoever Baltimore drafted because they were very clearly grabbing a wide receiver was going to be my sacrificial lamb for redraft leagues. And I was just not going to pick them whatsoever. Is there that kind of player, that kind of landing spot for you? Well, landing spot matters maybe more than ever with this group because we do have five wide receivers that, you know, throw them in a bucket and pick one out, right? That, and and now we have these two teams that we we love and that we want to chase their players, being Green Bay and Kansas City. Uh, they both have multiple picks in the first round. We are, are pretty certain they're both going to draft a wide receiver uh, with at least one of those picks. And whoever that is, I mean, maybe it is a lave falling. Maybe it's Jamison Williams with an injury discount. Maybe it's Jahan Dotson higher than some people think. Whoever it is, is is getting a value bump for sure. What about you, JJ? Yeah, I agree. Like I, I see a scenario where Chris, because Chris Olave is my wide receiver four in this class, and I see a scenario very easily where if, if he goes to Green Bay, if he goes to, if he somehow falls to Kansas City, or if they trade up or something, I mean, are we going to be shocked if he's the wide receiver one in this class from a from an ADP standpoint? I, I don't think that would be shocking at all because again, the discrepancy between some of these top guys to or, or you know quote top guys to a guy like Alave or to a Jamison Williams, it's really not dramatic. Like we we just it, it, there's there's not a very clear gap. There is a gap because, you know, there at least from like my, what my model says, but part of that is also projected draft capital and the projected draft capital. Whenever I inputted this stuff is, uh, you know, favored those three. But again, over the last week or two, I've seen a lot of shifting in mocks. And so it wouldn't be surprising if a guy like Alave gets elevated or a guy like Jamison Williams gets elevated, or, you know, if a guy like George Pickens ends up getting a first round draft capital, I mean, like there's a lot of directions the wider receiver position can go in. Um, and I think all that means is that there's going to be a lot of volatility, uh, you know, w- within the ADP market from a, from a rookie draft standpoint. So I wouldn't be shocked at all. If one of those guys goes to Kansas city or green Bay, if, if they end up being, you know, jumping a tier and just becoming the wide receiver one in this class, because there really are so many question marks as to who is the wide receiver one. Is there someone that stands out on the other end of that volatility? For instance, someone you were actually down on initially, but now it seems like the NFL is higher on them. Thus their draft capital is now forcing them like even higher in your rankings and model. I would say that it's probably the opposite more than anything. Like it's probably that, that there are guys that, uh, I, I was high on that I thought looked really, really good, but then I just dig more and more into their profiles and I look at where they're being mocked and I, I, I just look more into it and I'm like, well, I'm not as bullish as I thought I was. I mean, Traylon Burks is a really good example of that where, um, you know, initially we're like, oh, this guy's going to be the next AJ Brown and uh, he has a flawless profile and all this, but it's not really the case. I mean, there's a very real chance that he's the next Nikhil Harry, right? Like the, there, there's just, there's a lot, a wide range of outcomes for these guys. Whereas, you know, last season we felt pretty good about Jamar Chase. We felt pretty good about Devonte Smith, even Jalen Waddle, who didn't analytically line up with a lot of models and the way that people uh, look at this stuff. You know, you could look at, at his small sample sizes, especially what he did before he got injured his, his final season there and, and do a little bit of projecting and be like, okay, this guy's going to be very good too. Um, whereas I, I just feel like this is sort of going the opposite direction where a lot of the second round guys are getting elevated right now, like a sky Moore, right? Sky Moore went from in January when I really started digging into this stuff, sky Moore was like barely a top 100 pick from a projection standpoint. And now people are talking about him maybe squeaking into the, into the first round, especially now that you have Kansas city and green Bay there with multiple picks as Ryan noted. So there's, it's more so that things are converging as opposed to, um, you know, guys that, 
I was semi high on and they're getting elevated even more because uh, of where they're being mocked to and such. I just think that they're just becoming this like giant pole of wide receivers where, you know, from like one to eight, one to nine. I mean, there's just a lot of, of good talent, but not necessarily elite talent there. And it can just go in a lot of different directions. Did you have the same experience when diving in, Ron? Yeah, I think Sky Moore is a great call there because we have seen that uh, we've seen that ascension of him, and and it feels like uh, it feels like the fantasy community, the dynasty community, is a lot more accepting of that early on this year. Like in most cases, we wait until the NFL draft happens. This player that you know maybe we didn't know who he was six months ago, or we thought he'd be a day three pick. He's he's drafted in the second round. Then we start adjusting. I think we're feels like we're trying to do that earlier this year. Sky Moore, Christian Watson, obviously the the top two examples. I like Jalen Tolbert as well. Uh, I think he could be a, a day two guy. Um, so whether whether it's the uh, you know the the flatness at the top of this uh, wide receiver tier that's that's impacting that, or if it's just trying to learn lessons from previous years, I'm not sure. But uh, it's it's been interesting. I think. As Diego Lopez notes in the chat, the last thing we need is more mores in fantasy to sort through. <laughs> it's going to make the uh, CSVs we all have just an absolute nightmare. Uh, JJ, given everything you said then, it doesn't sound like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you really want the number one overall pick in rookie drafts post-NFL draft. Like, Is this a situation where you're actually trying to trade down and accept the risk, the volatility, or do, are you clear cut in on someone at the top, at least of rookie drafts at the top of rookie drafts. I'm really, really cool with Brees Hall. Uh, I, I would be like, I, I think that, that we do finally, you know, he emerged as, as like the clear cut one Oh one, even like pre-draft pre-draft at least. And, and where we're at now, even in super flex leagues, you can make the argument very easily that Brees Hall is the one one just because there's so much volatility also with the quarterback position. And, you know, obviously this week has been really good for some of those guys like Malik Willis in particular, where, Looks like he's he's getting into the top ten. He's probably gonna be a top ten guy, but um, you know, there's just a lot of volatility there and variance there. So if I had the 101, I'd feel fine, right? With with a guy like Brees Hall. But again, if I had the 102 right now and you weren't in a super flex league, if I had the 102, you know, I, I do think that if if someone's valuing that 102 similarly to previous recent seasons uh, versus like the 109 or something, or the you know where you throw in a Kenneth Walker in there too and and whatnot, and you 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 have you know, seven, eight deep where you feel fairly good about what you're getting there. Um, and if you can get more picks, if you can get more players out of a trade like that, I'm totally down to move down uh, in, in that case. You know, I, cause I, I don't think there's a clear cut one. And to Ryan's point, what he was saying earlier, there aren't that many like obvious go-to landing spots either um, outside of like the, the green Bay, Kansas city thing. But again, they're later in the first, right? Like it, it's not like they're, uh, a Jamar Chase situation where you're associating with, with him with a, an up and coming quarterback, uh, or even like a Jalen Waddle situation where you're associating him with a decent enough quarterback. There's just there's just not a lot of that going on in the front half of drafts. Whereas in the back half, um, you know you're gonna you're gonna find spots that are. In, I mean, Dallas is interesting and stuff and such, right? Like you're gonna find spots where um, you know if one of these wide receivers land on them, uh, they're gonna elevate a lot within this draft class from an ADP standpoint. Do you feel the same, Ryan, knowing there's just this giant crop of very good players? I do. I'm just I'm just having like Clyde Edwards Hilaire flashbacks, right? Not because we <laughs> we had these conversations 
with the the running back class of 2020 that it was it was deep and you know for, of course for most people i think taylor was their their pre-draft rb1 but you know it might have been swift or it might have been uh whoever and then we we let that juicy landing spot impact us. So yes, it's it's obviously going to create um, a, a value gain for those players, but at the same time, we we have to be careful. I I know I fell for Clyde at one hundred and one in one league, and it it still still hurts a little bit. One more still question. Hurts for a the, lot, actually. <laughs> <laughs> one more question for the both of you before you get out of here, Ryan. I want to start with you, and that is, let's say someone has at least one pick in the last round second round of rookie drafts which receiver right now perhaps which player right now even if this person is in a league with both of you actually uh which player would you make sure that individual does not leave that round without the one player in later rounds that you are definitely drafting this year pre-draft right now there's a lot of good ones i um name them all then that's okay i think this class has taken a hit just in general but i like the depth of the group um, I mean, we've already talked about Sky Moore and Watson. They're likely second rounders in in rookie drafts. Uh, as a as a biased Kentucky fan, I love Wandale Robinson still. Uh, his value's taken a hit because of uh, uh, the the 5'8 measurement from the combine. Uh, but I'm still targeting him. Tolbert is uh, Jalen Tolbert, 30 overall in our latest rookie ADP. So he's probably ultimately my one answer if I'm trying to nail it down and also the guy going the latest uh, that I'm most interested in. Pressure's on you now, JJ. I got a lot of guys that, I, that I'm interested in late. Uh, one guy uh, that, I, that my model seems like a good bit is Khalil Shakir, um, who you know had a good combine, likely play a slot role whenever he enters the league. But one of his comps in my model, he, wasn't as, uh, he didn't have production throughout his collegiate career the same way, but one of his comps was actually Cooper Cup uh, in, in the model. So... Uh, you know, he looks pretty good uh, at the running back position. Someone who seems like hasn't gotten talked up enough is is Kevin Harris from South Carolina. He's a bigger bodied guy who uh, comped fairly well to like a James Conner uh, in my model. And he had really good sophomore production. So I'm a little bit intrigued by him. He's going to be a day three guy. Um, so, you know, he's just a dart throw above all else. And then I'll go back to wide receiver. And I haven't really started this uh, this train yet, but I'm going to get it going. All right. I'm going to get this thing going. Here we go. Slot guys are from an analytical perspective. You often see like pure slot receivers, not necessarily have the most like baller profiles or anything because they do a lot, you know, a lot of what they do at the NFL level and how they translate is more, uh, you know, footwork and, and route running based. Right. Um, Hunter Renfro is a really good example of that where, you know, his production in college was not good at all, um, but he's a great route runner. Um, and so it was easy to throw darts that way. I think the one guy in this class who could be like that, he's a little bit bigger and, and uh, not necessarily, or he's, and he's more productive as well, but it hasn't been talked about that much. This is what, what I've seen, at least within the dynasty community, is Kyle Phillips from UCLA. Um, you know, he's someone who might have better draft capital than folks realize. Um, I've seen him in mocks go day three, or sorry, day two. Um, and, uh, I, you know, if he finds a spot where there's an open vacancy in the slot, uh, he can immediately play. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, you could get some cheap production from him probably in like the fourth round of, of rookie drafts at this point. Kyle Phillips is the name to write down for everyone listening. And also, JJ, this model of yours, I know there's a place people can go to subscribe it for it. Yeah, yeah. You can go check out the uh, the prospect guide, the late round prospect guide over on lateround.com. Uh, it's 138 pages of nerdiness. That's, that's, what <laughs> I'll, that's, that's how I'll describe it. 
LateRound.com, as he mentioned. I am a subscriber. And Ryan, tell everyone what you have going on behind the scenes. Yeah, over at Dynasty League Football, all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, mostly centered around this rookie class that we've been talking about today. And um, we've actually got a good deal right now for, for brand new subscribers. Uh, you can actually use uh, use code late round 33 uh, and get 33% off. That was not Brand planned, by the way. With both of you, no, I invited no. both of you. The, the double plug was not planned. <laughs> but anyways, I appreciate you joining, gentlemen. Everyone listening, remember, this is a new era of the most accurate podcast with two episodes per week during the offseason. So please, your likes, rates, reviews, they all help the show, whether it's on podcast via iTunes, Spotify, or on YouTube. But until then, until next Monday, when the rest of the game, Chris Allen, Jennifer Eakins, Brandon Niles, they're all back. We'll see you next time.